that that's all they do is worship. So how magnificent must God be to never tire of just saying, holy, 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 holy. We get tired because we're in these frail human bodies. But once we shed these bodies and we have our eternal bodies, then man, it's just, it's on. Amen. It is just so on. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. If we can bow our heads, please. Father, we thank you for a mind to worship you because there's, there was a time in our lives where that would have never happened. But God, you have saved us from the darkness. You have awakened us to your marvelous light and you saved our souls. And for that fact alone, you're worth all the praise and all the worship that we can give you. You died for our sins. We could worship you for eternity just for that. Lord, I'm asking that there be anointing upon me as a preacher and a teacher at this time to, to be a prophet. Whatever you need me to be right now to feed your sheep, God, I lay down my life to serve you so that I might serve them. You love them so much. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that this word would be nourishment to their souls, God, and I pray, God, that they would receive it with thanksgiving and not just hear it to hear it, but hear it to obey. So we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give our praise team a hand this morning? Praise God. Praise God. So we are still in a series called um, A Servant's Servant. A Servant's Servant. And today's message is entitled, No Longer I, But Christ. And what we want to talk about today is the fact that we must give all to receive all. Our lives for his. Can you say this with me? My life for his. Amen. That's so very important that we understand that. Our main text this morning will come from Galatians 2.20. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe upon this time right now in Jesus' name. This is a holy time. So just as worship is a holy time, the reading of your word and the study of your word is a holy time as well because, Jesus, you are your word. So we reverence this word just like we reverence you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, can you say this with me? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is a fact. We have to understand this, that if you've been born again, then you've died to the old life, right? And I heard Nicholas say this morning uh, that yesterday I mentioned to the men's group that the fact is this, that some people just, they don't give their life to Jesus, like the whole thing. They just add Jesus to the life they're already living, Ooh, and it just doesn't work that way, right? So that would be like me saying, okay, I've got a girlfriend, right? 
and my wife understands that I've got a girlfriend and I just need you to be okay with that. Is that going to fly women? No, that doesn't fly, right? So we don't add Jesus to what we already got going on, right? He becomes our everything, amen? He becomes our everything. So you have to say this and you have to, to, to understand that this is what he's looking for, that for us to be able to say that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I was at Meyer the other night, and we thank God for the Holy Spirit. I was at Meyer the other night, and um, I was uh, doing some shopping when I was hungry, which is a dangerous combination. And I walked by the freezer, and I saw some White Castle sliders, and they were jalapeno cheeseburgers, right? And thank God that God gives us wisdom because that would not have been a good idea, okay? And no, no knock against White Castle. If any of you own White Castle, I'm sorry, okay? But that would not have been a good idea. So we thank God that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. But while I'm at Meyer, I say this to God. I say, okay, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So although I am in Meyer right now, I'm really not here. It's Christ. Jesus, you're in Meyer, right? So what do you want to do? So I begin to ask the Lord some questions like, so Jesus, if you're in Meyer right now, what would Jesus be doing in Meyer? Like, what would you actively be doing? So I, I gave myself to him and nothing happened. Like, I didn't go to this aisle and heal someone. I didn't go and free the lobsters. Like, nothing, nothing happened, okay? So I get all the way to the checkout line, and I'm like, Jesus, like, I gave myself to you. Like, I fully believe that you're the one in Meyer now, not me. So, Jesus, if you were in Meyer, then what would you be doing? And here's what he said to me. I would be led by the Spirit. And I was just like, wow. That just simplifies it. So for us to be dead and Christ to be alive in us, the way that we now move and function is just when we're led by the Spirit. So God doesn't expect you to go about doing everything that you think he wants you to do. He simply wants you to be led by the Spirit. So if we're going to be crucified with Christ, that means that you have to willingly be able to lay down your life. You have to die to yourself so that Christ can live in you. So here's the question that we must ask ourselves is, is he worth it? Is he worth, like really worth, laying your life down for and saying, Jesus, you can have all of me? We've got to be careful to not be those people who just only add Jesus to their life. Because those become the people who he says, I never knew you. Well, didn't I do this in your name? And didn't I do that in your name? I never knew you. It's almost impossible to live with someone in the same house and not know them. So we have to die to ourselves and say, Jesus, you can come live in me. We need to find out if he's worth it. Let's go to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. This walk with God is not about what we think it should be, what we are willing to give up. It's so important that we follow the word of Jesus Christ. Like, what did he say, right? Not what a preacher may have said, you know, come, to, come forward and pray this prayer, and now you're saved. Are you really? But what did Jesus say? What is the cost of following him? 
We're in, in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, and it says this. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, which is a servant, okay, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And maybe we need to be more plain with people during an altar call. Because it, it, we make it seem so easy that all you have to do is just uh, believe on Jesus Christ for your sins and believe that he died uh, to, to, uh, and rose from the dead. And all this is true. But Jesus didn't just say that. When he turned to the crowd, he didn't just say, all you have to do is just believe on me. He said, if you want to be my disciple, right? Who wants to be a disciple, right? I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. So what is the cost then? He says that you have to hate your, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And I can only imagine the crowd looking at him and saying, there's more. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So, Father, as we go through this word, I don't want to breeze by any of it. Lord, you are soon to come. And there are people that die every day. So we want to be absolutely sure that we have counted the cost of being a disciple and we've been willing to do what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. Man, that's, that's, that's kind of not the way we do things, right? We just say, uh, uh, it's very important for you to be forgiven of your sins, which is all, this is all true. It's all part of it. But Jesus is saying here, don't even begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Come on. We really want to be saved. We don't want to go through these motions of thinking we know Jesus Christ, and we really haven't counted the cost, right? He says that we must be willing to give up everything. So the cost of being a servant of Jesus Christ is your entire life. It's the same thing that, he, it, that it cost him to save us was his life. So the cost of us to be a follower is our life as well. We see in John 3.16, it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we see that God saved those saves those who give him what he's asking for from perishing. Because what's the result if we don't give him exactly what he asks for is perishing. Now we see times in the Bible when the rich young ruler says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said, obey the commandments. And he said, okay, I've done that since I was a youth. But then Jesus asked for something more. So church, you have to be willing. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we all be able to calculate and say, Lord, am I holding on to anything still that's going to cost me everything? Because we can't hide anything from the Lord. We've got to give it all to him. To believe on him means also to obey him. So he tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says that he walked away dejected because he had a lot of money. He had a lot of things. But the truth is that those things had him, correct? Those things had him. So then what does it mean? What is, what is Jesus asking for? John 5, 24 says this, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. So yes, we receive eternal life by believing Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead. But listen to what else he says. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe. So we don't just listen to the message and not obey. There's a cost of obedience as well. It says they will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. So the question that we must ask ourselves is, is he worth it? Now, there's a lot of us in this room who had the opportunity to come to Christ at a younger age, okay? But we kind of were still doing our own thing. We kind of counted the cost and said, well, I'm still having fun. We counted the cost and said, well, I'm not quite ready yet. Or a lot of people say, I still need to clean myself up first, and then I'll give myself to God. But we know that that cannot happen, that God and the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that cleanses us and makes us pure. Now, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Because that's the anchor passage that we're using today. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I, I am thinking about being crucified with Christ. I once was crucified with Christ. It says I have been crucified with Christ. So it is a continual thing. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 11. And this is what it looks like. Your Bible is so important. It's so important to get into the Word because the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but really it ends in destruction. So we could be people, there, there are millions of people, maybe even billions, that think they're going to go to heaven, but they're going to have a rude awakening because they were not really crucified with Christ. It's not just about having your sins forgiven. It's about having the sin nature destroyed and allowing Jesus Christ to come inside of you and live. He becomes the one we live in. It's in Christ that we live and move and have our being. So Lord, teach us now what it looks like to be crucified with Christ. Listen to this, verse 1. Well then, shall we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin. So there's our first clue. Church, can you say this with me? I have died to sin. That's what it means to be. That's the start of what it means to be crucified with Christ. That my sin life is over. Come on, let's say this. My sin life is over. 
All right, when you say my sin life is over, it means that you declare yourself dead. Like, I'm not perfect. I might mess up and I may sin occasionally, but a lifestyle of sin is gone. My sin life is dead. It is gone. It is now Christ who lives in me. Let's keep going. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? So just like Jesus died on the cross, once we become born again and believe on Christ, that we are also joined to him in his death. Verse 4, for we have died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Verse 5, since we have been united with him in this death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So that's one major way that you know you've been born again because sin has lost its power in your lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are simply slaves to Jesus Christ because it is him that lives in you. As long as you are still in control, as long as your mind, your will, and your emotions are still going, you are going to still choose sin. So that is why we can't say that I'm just going to add Jesus to my life. No, Jesus must become your life. The righteousness of Jesus will fill you as the Holy Spirit comes into your life and fills you. So you must be willing to say, Jesus, I give you the entirety of my life so that I can have the entirety of your righteousness so that my sin life can be gone. That's what it means to be born again, not just to have your sins forgiven, not just to say a prayer. It means that you you literally die, that your old sin nature is dead dead, just like Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. That's what happened to the old you if you've been born again. The old you was crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ, and this this is a total new being right now. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So if we're still struggling with cycles of sin, we need a fresh baptism of death. Amen? That is how we deal with that old sin life, right? A fresh baptism of death, freshly crucified. Let's keep going here. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know, church, say this with me. I know that my old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that sin will lose its power In my life, I am no longer a slave to sin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at verse 7. For when we died with Christ, come on, come on, this is what your Bible says. For when we died with Christ, I'm so glad that Damien is dead. He was no good. And don't look at me like that because your version of yourself was no good either. It's just got to die. Listen to me. It can't. 
the, the, the old sin nature, it can't be trained, it can't be cleaned up, it can't be made to obey. It's only good for death. It must die. Amen? So that is why we know that if people are trapped in cycles of sin and they say they're born again, they need a fresh death to bring that old sin nature to, uh, to lose all of its power. Verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. The Bible is good. You should read this. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Come on, you guys need to learn how to talk to sin. When temptation rises up in you, you need to learn how to talk to it. Sin, you have no power over me. I will not lust. I will not lie. I will not be disobedient. I will obey God. Sin, you have no power over me. That's, that's, why, that's the way that you have to talk. Verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So listen, at some point, we've got, you've got to know that you don't have to have a sin consciousness anymore. You don't have to walk around saying, oh, I don't want to sin. I'm afraid I'm going to sin. No, once you've been born again, you live for the glory of God now. Verse 11, so you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So what are we talking about here? The anchor scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ. So the question, church, that, that, that God has for us this morning then is this. What does your dying look like every day? Because you've got to bring your flesh to death every day. You've got to, we've got to rule over it and say that you cannot have a say-so today. You will not be going off on your own today. You're going to be freshly crucified today. I'm going to bring an end to myself so that Christ may reign, so that I can live for his glory. This is very important. Every day, I freshly crucify myself I am not a, a slave to sin. I live now for the glory of God. So then we have to say, okay, what does your dying look like every day? So it's not enough to just wake up in the morning and read one Bible verse and then go on about your day. Because that's not a, that's not a blow of death to your flesh. All right, to, 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 to blow a great deal of death to your flesh, it takes more than just reading a Bible verse what it takes is obeying the Bible verse, right? Not just reading, but reading to obey. So what are some of the instruments of death and decrease that we have? And eventually this will be a hallelujah, praise the Lord message, but we got to die first. You got, you got to die first, right? So, so what do your instruments of death look like? Well, the first thing that we've been given is the cross. Because Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. So what's this cross do for us that we carry? We carry this cross by faith. And when that sin nature tries to, run, to rise up again, we've got a cross that we're carrying and says, nope, I crucify that thought right now in the name of Jesus. Say this with me. I crucify that thought in the name of Jesus. 
Okay, so you don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to give in to temptation. As soon as your flesh starts rising up again and old desires start trying to come back, old thoughts start trying to come back, you take that cross that Jesus has said, pick up and follow him daily, and you deny yourself. Now, this is going to be hard for some to say, all right? If you're chewing gum, you might want to spit it out, right? This might be hard to say, but I want you to say this, okay? Say this with me. Self? No. No. You guys did pretty good. That's what it looks like to die daily, to, to have command over yourself, to be able to say, self, no, you don't get to do that. So what's the next thing? The next instrument of death and decrease that we have is prayer, right? Now, you're all here right now, but if I say, hey, let's come back at nine o'clock for a prayer service the numbers would dwindle, right? Every prayer service is always your least attended service, always. But I pray in the name of Jesus that it won't have to be that way anymore, okay? Because prayer is a tool of denial. When you pray, you have to humble yourself. And if you're too strong in self, then you won't deny yourself. You'll say things like, I got it. Like, usually, a lot of people don't come to pray until they've tried everything else. But how about we pray first? How about we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these things we're working for and worrying about can be added to us? So the reason that prayer is an instrument of death and decrease is because the Bible tells us this. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your path. So here are some things to strengthen your spirit this morning. They're not easy things to do, but we just saw that Jesus did not ask for, uh, he did not tell us that the cost of following him was easy. I, I, I just believe that Christians, sometimes we just want the easy way out, but it's not an easy way. The cross is where it starts. We have to deny ourselves. We have to be willing to pray and say, Lord, I seek you first. I'm not going to worry about anything. I come to you. Here's another tool of, of in, uh, another instrument of death and decrease is fasting. Not fasting Facebook, fasting burgers. Not fasting television, fasting meals. Fasting needs to come back to Jesus's church. All of us can do better. Raise your hand if you can do better with fasting. Every single one of us can do better when it comes to fasting. And that's almost a, a bad word to our flesh. Like, oh man, really? Yes, because fasting decreases us. Fasting allows you to tell yourself no. So many times we're eating when we're not even hungry, right? Just because the body, just because we're not the master of our own body. So fasting decreases us. Fasting humbles us. If you want to go higher in God, it takes you lowering yourself, submitting yourself to him. And fasting is one way to do that. Now, let's see if Jesus really wants the modern church to fast. Should we be fasting at all? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And this is Jesus talking. And he says this, And when you fast... Does that sound like that's something that should be continued, right? And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. 
For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Verse 17, again, he emphasizes, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what to do, what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So Father, I pray that fasting will come back to your church and even this church, God. May we dedicate ourselves to you. May we humble ourselves to you. May we turn our plates upside down for a time that we might seek your face, that we might uh, eat your word. For your word says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Father, help us. Help us to not be so addicted to pleasure, not so addicted to food, God, to tell these bodies no so that we can tell you yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's another way to uh, another instrument of death and, and decrease is giving. Not just money, but just giving anything. When you have something and you can give it away, you're decreasing yourself. You're saying, you know what? I have much, but they have little, so let me be a blessing. Let me decrease myself. Amen? Awfully quiet on the giving part. Next one is assembling, and you're doing that right now. One of the ways that we diminish ourselves and decrease ourselves is by assembling. When the body of Christ comes together, Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the return is drawing near. All right, so, so far we said this, is he worth it? Because our anchor scripture is, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We just talked about being crucified. That's why it's so quiet, because it's not an easy thing to do. But God is calling us into death so that his life can enter us. That is when the struggle of sin will be over because our old selves are dead and Jesus Christ now occupies us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So what does it mean now that no longer I who live, right? Getting rid of self, crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Let's go to John chapter 3, verses 27 through 30. This is what it looks like when the confession is, it is no longer I who live. Verse 27, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. So here, here is the way that we can say it is no longer about us anymore. John 3.30 says this, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Church, can you say this with me? He must increase, I must decrease. Another way that we see that it's no longer I who live is in Luke chapter 9, Verses 23 through 24, this is what Jesus says. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your old life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So that is why we have to be very careful not to just add God to what we're doing already. We must be willing to say, God, you can have all of me. I am a servant of yours. I don't hold on to any of my life. You are more valuable than anything in this world. Everything that I see is perishing. Everything that I see is not eternal. God, I have found something eternal in you, so I'm willing to give you the whole of my life. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 15. This is what it looks like again, where it's no longer you who live. It says this, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, this is how we do it, right? When we must crucify ourselves daily, this is how it's done. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own. Now let's go on to what it looks like for Christ to live inside of us. We're going to Colossians chapter 3. And it says this, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, this is what we do as believers. This is what we do as those who have been crucified with Christ. This is what your life should look like on a daily basis. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Let that really stand out to you. Okay, because the more you think about the old life, the more the old life comes back. So if you want the new life, if you want the spiritual life, you've got to think about spiritual things. This is very good. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking in you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Going on to verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So now we've come to the part where we see that it's now the, the new life that we live. So the old us is gone and the new life has begun. So how do we carry ourselves now? Go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. And then we've got one more passage after this. And then we'll come to a close. How do we now live this new life? How do we keep ourselves separated from the world? This is what Jesus says. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So there's three things we need to be pursuing every single day. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are the three main things we must be holding on to, and those things are called the kingdom of God. And all those things come through Jesus Christ. Finally, we have to have faith in the Son of God who loves us. 2 Corinthians 5, 13, 13 through 21 says this. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. See, that's what we're controlled by now. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ, and when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If that seemed like a lot and you're like, well, pastor, Jesus is asking for a lot from me. And the way you just presented that, it seems as if that's, that's just a lot. Here's what you have to know, church. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send another helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us fulfill and satisfy the requirement, the new requirement of the law, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Father, I just pray over this word right now. When we really sit down and look at the cost of following you, it's very, very expensive. But you can turn the table right back on us and say the cost of saving you was very, very expensive. But yet you did it, Jesus. So, Lord, I'm just asking in this moment that we would live lives that please you, knowing that the only way that we could live a life that pleases you is to not try to live this life 
at all, but to give it to you and say, Jesus, I invite your Holy Spirit inside of me to live a life that pleases you. This life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, time is running out and people need to be saved. They need to be set free. They need to be delivered. And that last passage says that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And we make an appeal from heaven and it is really Christ in us saying to the world, come back to God. So I pray for these ambassadors this morning. God, some of them are tired. Some of them are weary. Some of them are going through some family situations, God. And I pray, God, that they would not be weary in well-doing, for your word says that in due season they will reap if they faint not. I pray supernatural strength over the people gathered here this morning, God. For your word says they that wait upon the Lord that you would renew their strength. So strength come to the church right now in Jesus' name. Lord, the way to you is a narrow way. And I'm afraid that the enemy has presented to the church a wide way. And it's not a wide way. It's a narrow way. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that in order to, 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 to make the steps that are necessary on this narrow way, that we would do what David did. And he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, would you turn these people, would you turn us back to your Bible? Would you turn us back to fasting? Would you turn us back to praying? Would you turn us back to giving? Would you turn us back to assembling? Because Lord, you are the one that determined the cost of following you. And we can't follow you unless we sit down and count the cost and say, okay, I will give you what you're asking for, Jesus, so that I may have eternal life. Father, if there's anyone in here right now that does not know you as Savior, Lord, would you move upon their hearts right now? Could today be the day of their salvation? Could, the day, could today be the day they turn their back on hell and destruction and say, you know what? I can't say where I'd go if I died today. I can't say where I would have gone if I would have died last night. But since I can do something about it right now, I am willing to give my life to Jesus Christ. I know I haven't been living a life that pleases him because it's impossible for us to please him without faith. And the greatest thing that you'll ever use your faith on is believing on Jesus Christ as your savior. So Father, if there's someone in here today that needs your salvation, would you save them? Would you allow your love and mercy to reach them right where they are? I command fear and shame to come off of you now in Jesus' name. Harden not your heart when you hear the Lord speaking to you to come and give your life to Jesus. Yes, the price is high, but the comforter helps us along the way. Jesus, we just want to be obedient to you because that is your love language. So if there's anyone in here today that says, you know what, pastor, I want to be sure of my salvation. 
You told me the cost that I have to be willing to give up everything. I have to make Jesus number one. I can't withhold my best from him. And pastor, I'm willing to do that. If that's you and you're here today, would you just come down to the altar so that we can pray with you and that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Don't wait for anyone else. Don't look around. Only you know the state of your own soul. And if you know that your soul isn't right for God, 